our focus has been in the last few weeks on prayer. And I want you to turn to the little epistle of James. And I want to read verses 1 through 8 of the first chapter. Now James lives over in the, in the New Testament, over in the Revelation neighborhood. So if you want to turn to the last book in the New Testament and take a left, you'll get to his house. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It's always exciting to get back to the, to the newness of that fall brings, the fall program of the church, the new emphasis that are, that are ours to enjoy, to see all these new college students and to get to meet them. And there are so many young people here today, and that's exciting. I'm so excited about what's before us in this year. And next Sunday we start two services to help with the crowds and to provide that option to others. And so you'll want to remember to share that word with your friends. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, this is our text, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on where you went to seminary. Uh, Augustine was born in the fourth century, called by some the greatest theologian of his time, and probably one of the greatest theologians of any time said this about prayer. Listen to this quote. Grant me, Lord, to know and understand which is first, to call on Thee or to praise Thee. And again, to know which is first, to know Thee or to call on Thee. For who can call on Thee not knowing Thee? For he that knoweth Thee not may call on thee as other than thou art. How are you going to call on him if you don't know him? How, how is somebody going to call on you who does not know you? You say, well, why is that so important? Well, he's liable to ask you something that is contrary to your nature and purpose if he doesn't know you. So that the that the first thing in this technique of prayer 
is not knowing how to pray, but knowing God. For after all, prayer is really just a response to the nature and character of God. But that's what the Christian life is, really. The Christian life is my response to the nature of God. The Bible says we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us, so that our love is just a response to His love. The Bible says, Be ye holy. Why? For I am holy, so that my holiness is just a response to His holiness. How do you live this Christian life? Well, you know God and your life lived in response to His nature. And I guess that this really is the key to many an unanswered prayer. Uh, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Um, why is it that I pray and God doesn't answer my prayer? Maybe it's because I have not known God. Because if I had known God, I would have not asked Him some things in the first place. There's some things you just don't ask God. It's just contrary to His nature and purpose. That's true of, you know, of your own kids. I remember when Todd, my son, was just uh, a wee lad. We were sitting down at the dinner table, at the lunch table one Sunday, getting ready to eat and watch the Cowboys play the Redskins. And I asked Todd to pray. And he prayed his little prayer for the meal. And then he said, and help the Cowboys beat the Redskins. And, and when he finished the prayer, I, I tried to explain to him, you know, that, that, that God probably, you know, wasn't partial to the cowboys. It might be some little boy in Washington, D.C., you know, praying for the Redskins. And I, I explained to him that, that God wasn't really partial to the cowboys, and he probably wasn't going to answer that prayer. And I never will forget that, you know, that, that look that was on his face when I told him the bad news that God wasn't partial to the cowboys, you know. There are just some things you don't ask God that's contrary to his nature and purpose. There's some things my kids don't, you know, know better than to ask me. Um, there are some things I didn't ask my dad. I told him Wednesday night about, you know, when I was a kid growing up and I got to smoking a little bit, you know, slipping around behind the barn smoking cedar bark, you know, wrapped up in newspapers. One hand caught my eyelids on fire, you know, <laughs> smoking that s cedar bark. And, and I'd slip out behind the bar and I'd smoke me up a cedar bark cigarette, you know. And I knew better than when we were sitting around at the dinner table that night to say to Dad, Dad, is it all right if I, you know, light up? <laughs> I'd light up all right. But it, it, it wouldn't be from a cigarette. There's just some things that you don't ask some people. Folks, we need to remember this. Are you hearing this? We need to remember this. That prayer was not born in man's need. Prayer was born in the nature of God. The thing that draws us to prayer is not our need, but God's nature. The thing that causes us to fall on our knees and pray is not 
our need, ought not to be our need. That's the way we pray most of the time. If we have a need and we can't do anything about it, we try everything else, then we go to God as a last resort. Our prayer is not drawn, we're not drawn to God by our need. We're drawn to God by His nature. What's He like? If we know God, we know the first thing in the technique of prayer. And that's what James helps us to do. He helps us to discover what God is like. First, He is a giving God. Verse 5 says, The God who gives to all men. It's really best translated, Pray to the God who gives. And I want you to see something that's just dynamite. That, that word there, that phrase, who gives is not adverbial describing the action of God. It's adjectival describing the nature of God. It doesn't describe what God does. It describes what God is. He is a God who gives. It's His nature to give. He wants to give. We're not have, we don't have to beg a reluctant God in prayer. He longs to give. He loves to give. It's His purpose to give. Pray to the God who gives. And then He describes His giving three ways. He gives to all men generally. He gives to all men. I mean not just the superstars of the Christian faith, those who are in the, in the hall of fame, a religious hall of fame, not just the missionaries and the Billy Grahams of the world. I mean, he gives to all men. I've had people say to me, you know, if I had as much of God in me as Billy Graham has in him, boy, I would just pray and I know that God, he must just pour out his blessings on that man who has so much of God in him. I'm going to tell you something that'll blow your mind. You have as much entree to God as the Billy Grahams of the world. You have as much right to His blessing as the super saints. You have as much entree into God's presence as any of these missionaries. Paul was a great man, but he had no more entree to God than I have. Now, if that's hard for you to grasp, let me tell you something that'll literally blow you out of your seat. You have as much entree to God as Jesus had Himself. He gives to all men generally. He gives to all men generously. You know what that means? It means that God gives to every, every man, everyone, everything he needs for his life to be what it ought to be. If you want to begin reading something exciting, start 2 Peter, and he says in there that we have all of the promises of God that are necessary, that, that enable us to live a life just like Jesus lived it. Everything that's necessary for you to live your life as God, as, as it ought to be, to have your life as God wants you to have it is available to you. Now the New Testament gives us an illustration of that tells us about a man who went to his friend at midnight and knocked on his door and he said, give me three loaves. I, a man has come unto me and I have nothing to give him. Give me three loaves. And the scripture says that the man did not give him 
the three loaves because he was his friend. But because of his persistence, he got up and gave him three loaves. That's not what the scripture said. It says that he got up and gave him on the basis of his persistence everything he needed. Now, I don't know if he gave him three loaves or not, but I do have his promise that he gave him everything he needed to make his life what it ought to be. Now, I have a feeling that many of us are holding back on God in our prayer. We're so afraid. This is too much to ask of God. This is too much to pray. This is being presumptuous if I pray this. Listen, you're not being presumptuous when you ask of God. He longs to give generously. He's no tightwad. He's not tight-fisted. I heard about this emperor, Russian emperor who just on a spur, the flash of an instinct, called a servant in, gave him a priceless golden cup. And the servant drew back and he said, I couldn't take that. That's too much for me to take. And the emperor said, it may be too much for you to receive, but it's not too much for me to give. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring for his great grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. He gives to all men generously. He gives to all men graciously. Now, now he said in the King James, he said, and upbraideth not. Now, that's a real familiar word to you, upbraideth. I imagine you've used that several times this morning, you upbraideth me. No, it, it means without reproach. If this is what the word means, the Phillips translation does it best. It says that he gives without making us feel guilty. Oh, I like that. He doesn't chide us. He doesn't scold us when we come. He doesn't make us feel guilty because we have to ask. He gives graciously. That's the kind of God we have. Now, I remember the first time I went to borrow some money. I went to the banker in my hometown. Now, not, now I've never met another banker like this, so don't let me... I, I, I like to be friends with these bankers, so don't get me the... Don't, don't misquote me around here with any of them. I, I've never seen another banker like this guy, but I, I went to my banker in my hometown. He was an old, older man. Looked just like a bulldog. I, I swear he did. He, his, his bottom teeth uh, kind of was up over his top, upper lip, and he, he did. And he was a little short guy, and, and I was in a desperate straits. I'd been married a couple of years, and I needed some money. I was in college, and my dad said, well, let's go see Mr. I get, they get my tapes back near home to my hometown. And I'm, I'm not going to quote his name, but uh, I said, okay. I said, he said, I'll go with you, and, and, and I'll co-sign if it's necessary. My dad had an impeccable credit rating. In fact, he never borrowed, bought anything ever on credit. And I went in there to um, that banker and sat down, and I could, I swear I heard him growling. He, he, was, a, he was the angriest man I've ever talked to. And he started, uh, started right in on me, just chewing me out for coming to borrow that money. He wanted to know why I didn't borrow it where I was living, that I have a bank and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mentioned my father's name, and he scolded me. He said, your father's not borrowing this money. You're borrowing this money. And then he started telling me how, how bad the bank was, you know, how I, I, I felt like loaning him money after, uh, you know, when we got 
got into that conversation. He, he told me what, how terrible things were, you know, and he didn't have that much money to loan. I wasn't asking for a lot. And I finally got out of there. I got about half of what I asked for. And you know the first thing I said when I got out to the car? You know what the first thing I said? You guessed it. I'm never going back in there again. You, you can go to God and you ask and you, you don't have to go away saying, I'll never go back to Him. And, and I've gone to Him. I've said, Father, you know, I kind of hate to come today because I've been here before. And I said, I wasn't going to do this before. And I promised you I was going to do this and I haven't. Lord, I, I'm kind of ashamed to come. I kind of have my hat in my hand. And God's always said, Son, come in. You're welcome to me anytime. He's a God who gives. Secondly, He's a God who cares. Now the interesting thing about this passage is that it begins with trials. And it talks about how men fall into various trials. It's the word, fall into trials and have problems and difficulties. And what this passage deals with is what you're going to do when trials come. Not if trials come, but when trials come. And so the passage, as it fits into this whole book that's dynamite, it's heavy with uh, encouragement and, and information concerning prayer, he's saying that when trials come, God wants you to come to Him, for He really cares. And He tells us in here that, that He cares about our circumstances. You know, some folks seem to think that the only thing God cares about is church stuff. If you don't talk to me about church talk, don't talk to me. That's kind of the idea we have of God. We have the idea that the only time God wants to bless anybody is, is He wants to bless the church. No, not, not at all. I heard about two guys who were talking about, and they were kind of going through a revival in their church, and this guy was telling about, he said, I'm having some real problems with my business. He said, I'm in trouble in my business. And I don't know what to do. He said, I've got to make some decisions that I don't know how to make. And the guy said, well, why don't you pray? Why don't you ask God? He said he'd give you wisdom. He said, you mean that, that you can pray about, about stuff like that? You know, about business and where you're going to go to school and who you're going to date? You mean you can pray about that? And the guy said, of course. God wants us to pray about those things. He said he saw him about a month later and he said, you know, I don't know what really, I don't know what happened, but he said, you know, it does make a difference. I didn't even know that you could pray about those kinds of things. I want you to know this morning that he cares about that debt, that, that, that note you're gonna, that's going to come due next month. And he cares about that broken relationship that's about to devastate you. And he's concerned, he's concerned about that business problem. He's concerned about that class that you're, you're teaching at school that has so many problems in it. He's really, he really cares about those things. He really does. He, he's concerned about our circumstances. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our troubles to him we can carry. He's, he cares about that. But let me tell you, he's more concerned. He's, he, although he's concerned about our circumstances, he's more concerned about our character. Now, let me ask you what you would do this morning if, if all of a sudden you fell into some kind of a trial. What would you do? Now, you may not be as carnal as I am, but if I, went, if I fell into some circumstance, some trial this morning, probably I'd pray, Lord, get me out of this. 
help me out of this thing. God, get me out of this mess. That's what we normally like to pray. If you care about our circumstances, get us out of this bad circumstance. But I want you to know he cares more about your character than he does your circumstance. He may not give you deliverance. What he wants you to do is come to him and he'll give you wisdom as to how to respond to the circumstance. You come to me, he said, and I'll give you wisdom that will make, help you to make the right decision, the right kind of response to the circumstance. And that's more glorious because that develops character, you see. That's what he says in this passage of Scripture. He's concerned about our character. Now, the reason I know he's concerned about our character more than our circumstances is because it is wisdom that he offers and it is faith that he demands. Somebody said God is compassion, compassionate, but he's not sympathetic. And the guy said, well, what's the difference? He said, well, here's little Johnny who's getting all this trouble, and you say to Johnny, little Johnny, I'm just going to tell you 62 more times not to do that. Then I'm going I'm to spank you. And Johnny does it 62 more times, and on the 63rd time, you're going to get out the razor strap and you're going to spank little Johnny and you see this tear, you know, coming out, out of his eye right on his cheek and you just don't have the heart to spank him. You have, well, Johnny, you know, okay, well, he says, Daddy, don't spank me. Well, I'll do better. Okay, well, Johnny, don't, don't do it again. That's sympathy. Compassion is when you see that little tear on Johnny's cheek and it just breaks your heart to have to spank him, but you know that's what's best for him, so you spank him. That's compassion. Now what James is saying is this. You can go to God. He's dynamically concerned about every circumstance of your life, and he'll have compassion. He'll do what's best for you. Which leads me to the third thing we know about God. Not only is he a God who gives, not only is it a God who cares, but He is a God who is trustworthy. Now I've got to go to verse 17 to tell you what I'm, what I, what, to show you what I mean. Look at that. Every good thing bestowed, and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. Now watch this and underline it. With whom? There is no variation or shifting shadow. There's one translation that has it like this. With whom there is no difference, nor is there a shadow made by turning. Which means that God is absolutely and totally trustworthy and faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. What a song. It's my favorite. Or one of them. Now, what James is telling us is this. You can know this for sure, that even though you're in a trial and the trial is tough and it's about to wipe you out, you can know this, that God does not induce evil. He does not try to cause you to do evil. And nor is he a destroyer. He's not an arsonist. He's a... He's a purifier. Some people start fires to destroy. God, if he allows the fire, it's to purify. He's not an arsonist. 
And because you absolutely are convinced, you know that God is faithful and trustworthy, you can pray to Him and know that there is no variation with Him at all. He's going to be the same. And He says it like this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. I want you to get that. I hope you'll wake up and hear this. That thing that you thought was from God, if it's not good and perfect, it's not from Him. Every good and perfect gift is from God. So if it's from God, it's good and perfect. Now, if there are some times when we feel like, well, now that just couldn't be. This thing that I'm going through, this thing that I've been given to bear is not good. It doesn't seem good. And there may be a t times in our lives when it seems that there has been a shadow cast across His goodness. There's been a shadow cast across His goodness. And what it seems is that we're experiencing and we have received things that are not good. They're, they're horrible and terrible. There may have been, there may come times when there is a shadow cast across His face, but there'll never be a time when there'll be a shadow cast across His goodness. There may be times when you will not be able to see His face. I've gone through them, so have you. I mean the darkness has come and you cannot see His face. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Now what is the veil? The veil is the faithfulness of God. He'll not let you down. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, when I cannot trace his hand, I will trust his heart. There are times when you cannot trace his hand, you cannot see him at all. You can't count the fingers on his hand. You cannot see his work you cannot bear witness to His intervention. There are times when you cannot trace His hand, but there's not a time that you cannot trust His heart. He is absolutely trustworthy. William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's pronounced Cooper, English spelling of Cooper wrote the book, wrote the song that's in our hymnal, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that blood. That flood lose all their guilty stains. I've heard that some people thought William Cooper was crazy. I don't know about that. But I know the story of his life. He got so full of despair and hopelessness 
he decided he would take his own life. And he called a cabbie in London to come and get him. And he was going down to the docks. He had this strange obsession with suicide. He wanted to drown himself. And the cabbie came and got him and started out into the night. A heavy fog had moved in to London. The cabbie got lost. I mean, he wandered around. Here's a guy wanting to kill himself. And the cabbie was riding all over London trying to find the docks in the thick, dense fog. Finally, William Cooper said, just stop this thing and let me out. And the cabbie stopped and he got out. And to his amazement, he had let him out at his front door. They had circled around, came right back where he started. And he felt he heard God speaking in that strange quirk of providence. Went inside, wrote these words, light shining in the darkness. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps 